Welcome to the Forensic Cop Podcast. This is LFC Core. Looking forward. Looking back. So, looking forward, we're looking forward to uh, Liverpool winning the EPL Championship. Uh, first time in 30 years. Uh, first time in this iteration of, uh, of the championship, which is the Premier League. We're going to be winning it. It's only a matter of what game that's going to be. My big question is, when do you see us losing? Do you see us losing? In my mind, I see the potential biggest um, problems for us being either the Man City game, just because the quality the Man City brings, or the game after we mathematically clinch. What are you seeing? So, I've been saying this all season. Um, Every time that Liverpool plays, I would not be surprised if they win or if they lose. Our next game is against Norwich on Sunday, right? Bottom of the league. I honestly would not be surprised if we lost that game. In, In Norwich's defense, though... They did beat Man City. They beat Man City and even, at home, at home. But even in the first game of the season, they we, we lost. Sorry, they lost four one, but they gave a very good account of themselves at Anfield. So they have. I'll be honest. Just in Norwich's, um, you know, on on their side, I gotta say, they are one of the best last place teams I think I've ever seen in the EPL. There are games where they come out and they're playing fantastic. I feel like they've gotten maybe a handful of not so good breaks, but just in general, like this is not your typical last place team. But that being said, I mean, Liverpool has made a habit of winning, frankly, every single game they've played, except for that one Man U one. If you're going to look at where we're going to fall, I really got to believe like Man City is a big risk um, because it will be at home at Man City. And they are going to be determined to make us lose for the simple fact that we are smoking them in the league and they don't like that. The other one is I just think there's going to be a natural letdown after we have won the title. After we know that the 30 years is up. After we know mathematically nobody can catch us. My worry is there will be a bit of a letdown and that might be the the trap game whenever it happens. So I'm less concerned about that game. I think that... Of course, playing Man City, there's always the the chance that we will lose that game. Um, even if we play better, Man City is just a quality team. And on, on that day, it's kind of like a derby where anything goes. Um, so I would not be surprised if we lose against Man City. I don't think that we will lose the game after we mathematically seal the Premier League. I think the game to be concerned about is the last game against Newcastle away after we have lifted the trophy. So, right, so the the lifting of the trophy is actually going to be... Uh, so regardless of when we win it, uh, if you have mathematically uh, won the trophy, the policy or whatever you want to call it, the EPL, is that you will lift it on your final home game, which is the second last game that Liverpool plays. So Liverpool will be lifting the trophy, the actual physical trophy this year, on the second last game of the season. And so you're right, the last game away from home, I hadn't even thought about that one. Yeah, so if we're still unbeaten by the last game, then I think that the players will rise to the occasion and see out the season unbeaten. But if we've already lost a game before that Newcastle game, I will not be surprised if we lose that game as well. Because at that point, Newcastle will want to see their team off on a winning note. They'll want to be the team that beats the the champions of, of England. 
and we would have nothing to play for technically if we'd already lost the game before the Newcastle game. However, if we're still unbeaten by that game, I think we'll see it out. Yeah, I think I can agree with you. I think there will definitely be a letdown after we've lost the game. Um, making a season of Invincibles would be fantastic, but if we lose a game, then we lose a game, and, and you know, losing a second game makes very little difference. Uh, we're still mathematically in a great position to beat Man City's point total of their highest season. So I think, yeah, I can I can believe a second loss then would be possible. Uh, I'm hoping we go all the way. I'm hoping it's the Invincibles. But at this point, I'm almost thinking I'd rather see victories in maybe uh, the Champions League and in the, uh, the FA Cup. You know, the treble. Would I rather take the treble or the Invincibles? I think at this point I'd rather take the treble. But again, I mean, who knows what's going to happen between now and the end of the season. Probably a conversation to have later on. Right. But to answer your question, I think that we will lose to Arsenal. Yeah, I think Arsenal is going to be a tough out. Uh, I can imagine every team that we play going forward getting up for our game. You know, every game is a normal game. They want to win every game. But playing against the... Uh, chosen ones playing against the champions playing against the potential invincibles i think teams will get up and i could see the arsenal one as being a pitfall for us i i i kind of like that one i hadn't thought of it before but i do see a risk there especially given that they are the original invincibles absolutely of this lifetime at least so i i can see that for sure um i guess we'll have to wait and see and uh it'll be exciting i'm hoping we go all the way i'm hoping we win uh we win the whole league with no losses but, you know, whatever happens, happens. Um, but in terms of uh, now a bit of looking forward and looking back at the same time, there have been a lot of rumors lately about Adam Lallana leaving. Um, what are your thoughts on him? Uh, him as a player, him in the Liverpool jersey, and if he leaves? Um, I, I, I think he'll leave with everybody's blessings. Uh, he's, he's been at Liverpool, it would be six, is it six years? Five years or six years, he came the year after we sold uh, Suarez, right? So he was one of those six or seven players that we purchased with the Luis Suarez money. And uh, he started that season with Brendan Rodgers, not really that great, but that was not a great season for a lot of players. But he grew into that role, especially when Klopp came in. He essentially was Klopp's enforcer. So he set the press. He was Klopp's go-to person on the field. And... Unfortunately, after that first season, he was riddled with injuries, which he's only now just overcoming. So I like I like how you talk about he was, you know, Klopp's enforcer. He was kind of Klopp's guy. I think uh, what I remember early on from his uh, his time at Liverpool with Klopp was, uh, and, and this goes a long way talking about Lalana and talking about how Klopp views Lalana. Uh, I, I remember distinctly a game where uh, Lalana gave it his all. Like, you could tell the guy, by the end, he was done. Uh, you know, at the end of the game, Klopp comes on the field to hug all of his players, and Lalana just falls into his hand, arms, like, completely exhausted. He gave it his all, and he clearly bought into Klopp's mentality and bought into Klopp's philosophy. And I think that goes a long way to getting everybody else to buy in as well. And I think this guy has been a true soldier for Klopp the whole way through. And I think there's a lot of respect on both sides there. Absolutely. And, and, I, and I think that 
he leaves, if he does leave Liverpool, he'll leave with the well wishes of all of the coaching staff, all of the players, and I hope all of the fans as well. Uh, because at 31, he knows that he's at the twilight of his playing career. And so it's only right for him to find a, a team where he can play the most minutes possible, which he will most likely not be able to get at Liverpool. Because as good a player as he is, he's definitely not getting into the team uh, before Fabinho, before Salah, Mane, Firmino, you name it, right? But he, he certainly he, he could have a role to play. However, I think he deserves another contract with a team where he can be one of the main guys. Well, I mean, when you look at his, uh, what he would leave Liverpool with, he would live, leave Liverpool with the Champions League, he would leave Liverpool with a Super Cup, he would leave Liverpool with Club World Cup, and he'd live, leave Liverpool with the EPL title. Um, he would have accomplished kind of all of the titles that you would think of with Liverpool. Uh, he would presumably, like you said, be looking to go to another club where he can play more. I think people who are saying that he's completely done and he's got nothing to offer are way off base. I think he can't play 38 games a season, 90 minutes a game. But I think he can offer a lot. And I think you're seeing that now where Klopp is actually putting him in to certain games. And he's seeing more playing time than he's seen in a while because you've said of the injuries. My thought on this is if you look, uh, just one of the, the comments that Klopp made that I thought was a little bit odd. And I, I've thought about this is where Klopp was talking about how Lalana's come back and now he's injury free. And one of the things he said was that his injury problems are completely behind him and he won't have injuries again. That struck me as a really odd comment and struck me as something that's not the type of thing you normally hear from Klopp. What I'm thinking is I'm thinking that was Klopp's attempt to help get Lalana signed somewhere else. I think Klopp understands that Lalana wants to go somewhere, he wants to play somewhere, and he wants uh, Lalana's new team to sign him with the confidence that he will not have the same injury issues that he's had so far. This is Klopp showing to Lalana, you gave me everything you had for your five or six seasons here. I am helping you on your way out because that's where you need to go and that's where you want to go. So this is a, a show in my mind of Klopp's respect for Lalana, helping him out to try to get a better contract for a better team in his next stop. That's actually interesting. I, I not really thought about that because I, I do remember when that quote came out and I was wondering to myself, how does Klopp know to make such a bold statement? And I was almost looking for a piece of wood to knock because that's usually what people say before the next major injury happens, right? Um, so if that is true, then that just speaks to the character of Klopp and the trust that he puts in his players and the reason why his players would do anything for him. Because before that, there was talk from Klopp of wanting Lalana to stay and sign a to re-sign a contract with Liverpool and to to possibly see out his career with the club. So they probably had a conversation where Lalana made it uh, evident to Klopp that he was he he would be looking to move on, and then he made the statement that that you're suggesting he he made in order to to find the best opportunity for Adam Lalana. And if that is true, then kudos so I, I think you're right actually because the timeline does kind of line up where it was there was word coming out the Klopp wanted him to stay the club wanted him to stay then Klopp made that just absolutely bizarre 
claim that I don't know how you make for a 31-year-old footballer who has had an injury history saying he's not going to have injuries going forward. It's fixed, whatever that means. And you kind of heard all of the conversation around Lalana, we want him to stay kind of ending. And I think you're right. They must have had a conversation and Lalana must have said, I, I want regular play time. And Klopp must have said, I want you. I want you to stay. But if this is what you want to do, I'm going to help you out. And I think, again, it comes down to you look at other coaches and you look at Klopp and there's just something about Klopp that his players believe in him, work for him and do things for him that other coaches don't necessarily get. And I think this is part of the reason. I, I think it says a lot to the dressing room when they see a guy like Alana wanting to leave and Klopp not just accepting that he's leaving or being bitter that he's leaving, but helping the guy out every single chance he gets on the way out the door. I think that speaks volumes and I think the other players look at it and know this guy's got my best interest at heart. It's not just about him, his job and his titles. Absolutely. A Klopp from from the very first day till the end of his coaching career, he will maintain that there's more important things in football. But ironically, by breathing that, living that, it kind of liberates the people around him to give their everything into the game, knowing that he has their best interests in mind as people. And, and that's what makes Klopp a rock star. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes players want to play for him. Right. And I think going forward, that's going to pay dividends for Liverpool. Facts and figures. I wanted to bring up uh, something that had been kind of in my head for a while, which was this uh, new Nike deal that Liverpool had signed. There was a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of news around that when uh, New Balance sued and there was a court case and all that. Now we're starting to hear about the deal again. It had kind of gone silent a bit, even though we knew it was in in effect. It was coming into effect in the summer. We're starting to hear some news about it, about the kit. So we're starting to hear that Nike has apparently 65 standard kits with potential changes in colors and things like that. But they're going to completely redesign a new kit for for Liverpool, which is great. They're uh, promising the sun and the moon, and that's fantastic, and we hope it's great. But my thought on it is more around the actual deal itself. So the deal itself is from uh, what we have heard. Again, I haven't read the contract. Is undervalued if you want to think of it just from a purely dollars and cents point of view. Um, the big clubs are getting you know near a hundred million dollars U.S. per year uh, for the sponsorship. Liverpool is reported getting only about 30 million. That's pounds or dollars? Dollars. I think that's pounds? No. So uh, the 30 million may be pounds. The 100 million comes from, like, you're talking the Barcelonas and the Reals of the world. They're getting about 100 million US. Um, Again, you would think Liverpool would be able to get close to that. I mean, they're the reigning champions. They apparently have some clauses in the contract that pay uh, additional money for winning titles and for winning uh, the Champions League. But in terms of base dollar amount, Liverpool seems to be much lower than everybody else. So again, it's more a case of they they will get the additional money on jersey sales, theoretically. But what this tells me is Liverpool is looking to do business in a different way. As in, they're looking for a percentage of total sales. So the deal, the way it's structured apparently is they're looking at percentage of total sales. But I would almost say the dollar amount involved in this deal is, I don't want to say irrelevant, but is a very low priority for Liverpool. Um, I wrote an article about this on the site. 
I think that this deal is part of a larger master plan that Liverpool has. Uh, this Liverpool team is a fantastic team in terms of quality on the field. It is a team with virtually unparalleled history, and yet we are not even in the top five in terms of revenue teams in the world. And I think this deal is all about getting Liverpool into that group. So we're talking Liverpool has gone um, to just over $500 million US, where you're talking a team like uh, Real is at over 700, they're at 750. So they're basically making 50% more than Liverpool is. And I think Liverpool is realizing long-term, they need to get into that ballpark. And so how does the this particular deal structure with Nike enable them to get to that position? So this deal is, it provides some money, it provides a 30 million. It provides additional money in terms of the jersey sales. But the big item that they're really looking at that I think moved the needle for them in this case is A, the number of stores that Nike has around the world, which just nobody else can compete with. They now have a presence. So I can honestly tell you, um, I don't live in Liverpool and I wanted to buy a kit for my son, my my little baby when he came out, because what else would he be in? Um, and I can't find one. So I'm this was hoping, when we were with New Balance. This was this is in the New Balance days. Yes. So I'm able to buy an adult kit from New Balance. I can't find a jersey or a kit or anything for infants, for children, for anything like that, just because they don't have the distribution network, they don't have the size, they don't have the stores. It's not feasible for them to offer that, and I understand it from their business point of view, but I understand from Liverpool's point of view, they want me to take a picture of my little guy in a Liverpool kit, and they want him to be a Liverpool fan for life. And uh, making a deal with Nike where they can be in tons of stores around the world, they will have a much larger footprint, they'll be able to offer a lot more product, will go a long way in selling more jerseys. So that's one part of it. The other part of it is this uh, piece that has been talked about a lot, which is where three influencers, quote unquote influencers, will wear Liverpool kits. That is, I think, where the real uh, meat and potatoes of the deal uh, comes in. Because Liverpool is hoping to translate the uh, influence that these people have into converting new fans, into converting uh, future fans into converting people who maybe aren't cheering for a team. We've discussed in previous podcasts, if you're in England, you've got a team. There's just no way you're you're in Great Britain and you don't know who your favorite football team is. But if you're in other parts of the world, I think there's a lot uh, that can be done to influence who your chosen team will be. And I think a lot of that you can see in PSG. So PSG sales... It, when they signed, so they signed a deal with Nike with the Jordan brand. Um, they actually increased 470% sales in the United States just from signing that deal. And I think Liverpool is looking for that too. Liverpool wants the money, sure. But if you're telling them they can increase jersey sales in the United States 470%, then that is really what this deal is worth. I'm just curious. Do you think that Liverpool has... A, either identified that they have a lot more fans that are than have been purchasing official gear 
due to the lack of footprint of of the previous uh, kit 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 creators, New Balance, Adidas, and Reebok in the in the past, or do you think that they're anticipating exponential growth with all of the goodwill and the success of the team on the field right now, and the, and so they're positioning themselves in a way to be able to match the anticipated demand. So that is a fantastic question. And I, I think the answer is both. I think they know that there is uh, some unfulfilled demand from a marketing point of view, from a financial point of view, it is extremely difficult to quantify that. But more than likely, they have an understanding that there is an unfulfilled demand and they want to make sure it's filled. There's nothing worse in the business world than having demand that's not fulfilled because then you can potentially lose clients and fans. So I think you're right. They're looking at filling the demand that they have. At the same time, I think they're looking at converting new fans, at creating new fans, because right now is kind of a new golden age for, for Liverpool. There's no other way to say it. We have been in back-to-back -back Champions Leagues. We have staked our claim to world glory. Um, you know, Klopp in all of his time at Liverpool has never lost a two-legged um, series. We are uh, winning the Premier League. We got 97 points last year. This is the moment for Liverpool right now. And I think you need to look at what Man U did. Was Man U the savviest team in the world in terms of marketing? Not necessarily, but for 20 years, during the Alex Ferguson years, they were just constantly winning, constantly dominant, and that converted a whole generation of fans in many parts of the world that maybe don't know English football, but they just know Man U is the team. Now, we need to think of Liverpool is the team. How do we have that same effect that Man U had? And I think this Nike deal is part of it. So what could go wrong? Liverpool not winning is easily one of the big things that could go wrong. Um, I think in a way we're a little bit insulated against that, not just because the team is good, but I think that, uh, as I mentioned in the article, there's kind of two um, other uh, items that are going to help us in branding and in growing. One of which is and make no mistake, this was fully intentional. LeBron James is part of the ownership of Liverpool. Uh, he has a microscopic stake. He has no decision-making power. Nobody consults him for anything. Uh, he is not on Klopp speed dial, but from an optics point of view, he is seen at Liverpool. He wears a Liverpool jersey. He is a fan of Liverpool because he's an owner. Even if he's a fan otherwise, who cares? The point is, he is huge. He is the best player in basketball and he is um, promoting Liverpool. The other side, I actually think, is uh, you know a perk of signing Minamino. I think Minamino was a great player. I think he has a lot to offer and I think he'll show it. But I think a huge perk with a capital P is the fact that he brings a nation of over 100 million people from Japan to Liverpool. There are no significant Japanese players playing kind of anywhere right now outside of Japan. And so I think Minamino is going to go a long way to bringing in new fans. So are there risks? Sure, if Liverpool isn't performing. But I actually think Liverpool has almost divested their, um, their growth and their expansion into uh, giving LeBron James some ownership, signing a guy like Minamino, 
potentially even going as far as saying, look at the Brazilians we have on the team, where you've got Allison, you've got Fabinho, you've got um, Firmino up front. You're talking uh, a significant number of our starters, because I mean, three of 11 is significant. Um, a significant number of our starters are Brazilian and are on the national team. We're trying to make a name in Brazil too. Uh, Salah is the premier Egyptian player. We are making a name in Egypt. Uh, these are all maybe ancillary issues. I don't think we went out and got these players for those reasons. But I think Liverpool knows enough that they're trying to promote that and they're trying to go out. And Nike is a big part of that. Where are there a lot of uh, New Balance stores in Egypt? Probably not. But I can pretty much guarantee Nike's in Egypt and Nike's in Brazil and Nike's in Senegal and they're in everywhere that Liverpool have players. They're all over Japan. Uh, Nike is going to be that uh, conduit for Liverpool to grow. And if they're not, then they certainly have the the um, power and opportunity to make themselves present wherever they choose. Oh, absolutely. I think this deal offers um, a big opportunity to uh, Nike. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, soccer is the second biggest sport behind baseball in Japan. So with Minamino, I gotta believe they are printing up Minamino jerseys like they're going out of style to ship to Japan because they know what that can bring in. Right. And so I think this is a really good example of a of what will be a symbiotic relationship. Uh, Liverpool will help Nike grow in the areas that Nike maybe doesn't have enough presence, um, and Nike will help Liverpool grow in those same areas where Liverpool doesn't have the presence. And I, I see this as a massive win because at the end of the day, we need to get into that revenue strata that the teams like Real and Barcelona are in. Absolutely. Long may continue. Critique and commentary. Remember a couple of weeks ago after the Man U game, we talked on the podcast about how dangerous Liverpool are on the opponent corners. And you had mentioned that you felt we score more goals off opponent corners than we concede off opponent corners. And then I asked, okay, but do you have the facts? Do you have the stats to back that up? So it was a feeling and I love feelings, but at the end of the day, I'm a stats monkey. And so, yes, I do. So I took the time and it's a shocking amount of time that it actually takes to put all these numbers together because they're not readily available. But... The short answer is yes, Liverpool is actually more dangerous on opponent corners than opponents are. But that's not the whole story. So once I, I put together my charts and, um, and the data from corners, I actually found kind of um, a couple of trends that are uh, a little bit shocking. And I, I got to say, I was kind of blown away by it. Um, so... I'll, I'll take it kind of in two parts. One is Liverpool corners and one part is opponent corners. So on the Liverpool corners, we are doing very well for the season, but we are doing even better right now. So what I mean by that is the first 10 games of the season, we were doing okay on corners. We were scoring, we were converting on 3.2% of corners. To give you a comparison for that, the average EPL team last year was converting on 3.7% of corners. So we were actually slightly below average. Now, I don't know if you recall, so that kind of coincides with the end of October, beginning of November. I don't know if you recall back then, but there was a bit of a, a, a thing in an interview in November 
where Klopp was asked a question on a set piece and what he said was something to the effect that the stats guys had come up with something and they talked to him about it and so he just incorporated that and he let them run with it and, and good things are happening. My guess is that they came to him and they said, you are below average on corner kicks. This team needs to be doing better on that. And you know what? It absolutely happened. So what I did is I looked at uh, corners. I looked at immediate corners, so headers off corners if they go in. And then I looked for the next minute or so, minute maybe two max, on a continuation of the play of the corner to see how lethal Liverpool are on their corners. So again, the general number for the EPL last year was 3.7%. Uh, the high bar was actually set by Burnley at 7.1% of corners converted. Brighton was at 6.4% of corners converted. So you're talking, if you're at 7 or 6%, you're doing fantastic, you're top of the league. So Liverpool in the first 10 games was at 3.2%, which is slightly below average. The next 15 games, so basically uh, from November until the winter break, Liverpool are at 10.8%. So we're talking they increased three times as much uh, from what they were doing before, more than three times as much. If this was happening the whole season, they would be the absolute runaway winners in terms of conversions off corners. There's clearly something happened. Klopp had talked about the stats guys getting involved and giving him information. My money says it was about this because this is a complete changeover. When you look at the Aston Villa game, which was the 11th game of the season, they basically have scored off of corners in more games than they haven't scored. It is absolutely unbelievable. If you give up 10 corners to Liverpool, statistically, they would score at least once. It is absolutely phenomenal the run that they're on. So that's the corners for Liverpool. Totally unexpected. I had never made a claim about that. I really wish I had because then I'd seem a lot smarter than I am. But what I did say is that Liverpool is more dangerous on opponent's corners. So I looked at the numbers there and oh my God, that is actually true. So to date in this season, Liverpool has given up one goal on corners. Unfortunately, it was to Everton of all teams. Um, but we gave up one goal to Everton on over 100 corners. So we're talking less than 1% conversion rate for opponents. So when you're talking the league average is around 3.7% and we're at less than 1%, that is phenomenal. More interestingly or more shockingly, we have actually scored three goals off of opponent's corners. When I say three goals, those are direct plays leading from the actual corner. So Van Dyke usually Van Dyke or somebody else will head the ball out. The play will move the other way. We will counterattack and we have scored three times where opponents have only scored once. So actually our conversion rate on opponents corners is 2.78%, which is unbelievable. We're actually nearing the league average. But if you look a little more in depth, which of course that's the name of the game here, something similar happened on opponents corners that happened on Liverpool corners which is we actually didn't score any goals on corners until the 15th game of the season. So there is a marked improvement. So it looks like we worked on our corners, figured those out how to score, then took about a month and change to work on opponent's corners and figured out how to score on those. 
if you start looking from the 15th game on, we're actually converting in 6.5% of opponent's corners. So on 6.5% of opponent's corners, we score where opponents are scoring on average less than 1%. That's unbelievable. So it's, it's absolutely mind-blowing. And what it's coming down to is, oh my God, it is statistically a mistake for opponents to try to score on corners. And I think part of what's going on here, and we've all seen it, is when you have a corner, you send everybody up, you get your center backs all the way in the box because they're the tall guys and they're going to score. And when Liverpool counters, you've got a forward and a midfielder who are undersized and just can't keep up with them, and you're going to be in a whole lot of trouble. And that's what I think is happening. I got to be honest, I am absolutely blown away that other teams haven't noticed this. As much as I think I'm a smart guy, I think this is something teams should have considered. When you look at the Southampton game, they pushed their center backs forward. And frankly, I think every team needs to stop doing that. I think every team needs to play a corner like they're trying to score, but I think they cannot take the all or nothing approach. I think they need to leave their defensive line back and I think they need to prepare for a counterattack more than they need to hope to score because statistically they have very little chance to score. Uh, the other one that I would mention is Liverpool scored three goals, but actually if you look at it, uh, there were three additional goals that it didn't count as part of the counterattack because they weren't right away after the counterattack, but they were within a minute or two of the corner itself. So potentially you can throw those in. But the bottom line is Liverpool, uh, astoundingly, is more successful on opponents' corners than opponents are. I almost feel as if we shouldn't be broadcasting this because we're kind of revealing trade secrets of LFC. So I, I do genuinely wonder... Um, I mean, there are analytics departments that are supposed to look at this stuff. And, and kind of my comment in the article was that the analytics departments, and I know how an analyst thinks. I know how data monkeys think because that's what I am. Uh, data monkeys crunch information, but by their very nature, they crunch information on an, a whole group where I think we're at the point where Liverpool is actually outside of that group. So crunching information on the EPL is actually damaging to your team if you're playing Liverpool because they are no longer part of that EPL bucket. They need to be looked at separately and they need to be um, addressed separately in terms of tactics. And I don't think teams are there yet. And I absolutely agree with you. I, I'm doing my job here and I'm doing what I love to do by coming up with these numbers, but I could genuinely see um, you know, the Liverpool analytics team being super pissed at us right now.